Today on the Amped Up to 11 podcast, U.S. Paralympic athlete, rancher, and father Kevin Hifley. In 2005, Kevin, also known as Flea, was involved in a hunting accident, which led to an amputation of his left leg below the knee. Consequently, Flea struggled with alcoholism due to the tragic loss of his limb and the constant pain he suffered as an amputee. Through perseverance and grit, Flea decided to defy the odds and would eventually compete on the U.S. track and field teams and medal as an elite Paralympic athlete. Flea is a beacon of hope for anyone struggling with limb loss or addiction. It is our pleasure to introduce Kevin Flea Hifley. Kevin, it's so good to see you. Welcome to the show. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's it's an absolute pleasure. And of course, I have been following you and doing lots of show prep on uh, your journey as an athlete. And, you know, um, I have to say, you are the first amputee, not just via podcast, but the first amputee I have met that lost a limb due to a hunting accident. Yep. So yeah, that was a that was a fun this, day. And in- is this something that you <laughs> that you hear? I mean, I'm not. I, I've never been involved in hunting. Um, it's not very common. I mean, it, it happens once in a while, but okay. You know, mine was kind of a freak deal, like anything else, and just you know, it wasn't the gun's fault. It just had, everything had to line up just perfect, and that seemed to how it lined up that day. And here I am now. So. Yeah, I want to understand better what happened exactly. So yep. you're you're a below the knee amputee, um, yes. and from from what I remember reading, uh, there was a series of surgeries that led to the amputation yep. via the yep. original accident. But I think where I'm a little fuzzy is what what happened, like the day that you uh, <coughs> were, let's just say it, the day that you were shot. Yeah. So that day was a Sunday afternoon. Um, me and my father actually took an old windmill apart. We we're going to make into a deer um, stands for that upcoming hunting season. And I went to go scout for deer on top of this hill we have, actually just a half mile south of where I actually live now. Um, and got on top of this hill and I saw a coyote. And I've grabbed my gun, I don't know how many, you know, hundreds of times in my life, and grabbed the gun in the passenger seat and went across underneath the steering wheel and step, was going to step out of the vehicle on the running board. and somewhere between the swing here and the swing outside, the gun actually just went off on itself. Um, mm. And when it went off, it went in right, like about an inch above my ankle bone on my left foot. And it never really actually came out. Um, I had a hole on the inside of my foot, the size of a fist um, on the inside of like the palm of my foot underneath it. But technically the bullet never came out. It just kind of exploded. And uh, so I was by myself when it happened. I was 20 years old. Um, this is before the cell phone days that actually had good service. So I didn't have a cell phone with me. We have on the ranch, we had two way radios, um, business bands, what we call them that we use for ranching and farming. And they have like a 30 some mile range, usually a little more than that once in a while. And so I don't know how long it took from point A to point B of me actually calling, but I know the, the bullet, the gun went off. I really didn't feel pain. The second I felt a throbbing and my ears were ringing from the, from the gunshot. And uh, I looked down and I was wearing uh, Roper lace-up boots. And I undid the top of my boot um, of the laces and my boot literally fell off my foot. 
Um, uh. Every seam in the boot, except for the top knot, had blown apart. So my foot went from being normally this size to my foot was about that big. It literally blew every seam on the inside of my boot. All the stitching was blown apart. It was blown all the way to the front of my boot. The insole was actually, we found later, like 20 feet away. It blew that far out. Um, wow. I took my sock off, shoved it in the hole I had on the inside of my foot, and got on the two or the businessman radio and actually got a hold of my grandma, who got a hold of my uncle, who called my parents. And they came and picked me up in an old pickup. Um, they called the obviously, obviously, they called 911 in between there somewhere. And they were meeting. This is the four road signs, too. We didn't have, so it was just, you know, people, you just told them where you were at pretty much. So dad came and picked me up with mom. He, Threw me in the pickup, um, took me about a mile and a half down the highway where the EMTs actually met me. I went to a local hospital from Cozad, Nebraska, which they were able to give me painkillers. But until that point, it was pretty unbearable. I remember uh, the ride, the EMTs were holding my foot. And I just very vividly remember the sound on bone on bone because my foot was just doing this. Even though she was holding it, it was just you could hear the grinding of everything on the inside of my foot. And I've never – it was – top two or three pains I've had in my entire life. And that was, you know, pretty insane. But we got to Cozad where they actually gave me some morphine, which let me calm down. They started doing some pictures of it, talking to doctors here and there, figured out there wasn't a whole lot of places that would be able to accommodate what I had going on with my foot. Ended up flying me in the helicopter to Omaha, Nebraska, to the med center in Omaha. Um, spent like, I think 10 days or around there in the hospital had like three or four surgeries right away. Just, they actually wanted to amputate it that night. Well, that night. Yeah. That was that, the question the that I was, I was going to ask you yeah. was what was the, yeah. well, you know, cause when I think about what you're describing, um, how do you salvage that situation? <laughs> and yep. I, I would have thought, okay, it's got to go, you know, almost yep. like a, a, a yeah. horrific, trauma that someone might experience like in an auto accident or something of yep. that nature. And how many surgery, subsequent surgeries did you have before amputation? And yep. you're saying initially they wanted to amputate. Yep. Was, was there some feeling from family that no, no, no. We, oh, we, me. Okay. So you were like, no, <laughs> no, was, no. Yeah. We're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out. I was like, no, I was like, hell no. I was like, there's not like, I was running track at Carney at the time at UNK at a small college. Like I was running track. I was an athlete. Like yeah. you couldn't have, you couldn't have made, you couldn't give me a million dollars that night to cut my foot off. You, you, you couldn't have. Like I was a very successful high school athlete. I was only a sophomore at this point in time um, in, in college. Like you couldn't have, yeah, you couldn't have paid me to, uh, <laughs> to have it cut off that night, you know? And yeah. You're, you're running, your, you're running yeah. your ass off. You're running your ass off. Yeah. So you're like, wait a minute, this is not happening. Exactly. So, so, someone needs to figure out how we're going to fix this basically. Yep. And, and what, so what did they say to you? What was, what was the, what was, <laughs> how was that received? Well, they knew my situation. They knew, um, that I was running track at Carney. They knew all these little things about me and they actually didn't as I'm very, I mean, I don't, those 10 days, I almost don't remember anything of it. I was on so many drugs those, those entire 10 days, but what they've kind of told me is they said, that's fine. It's your foot, not ours. Like we can always do that. We can't always bring it back. So the first time I had a surgery, they pretty much just cleaned the whole wound out. It wasn't like they were trying to fix anything. The first actual about three surgeries was just, they were literally laying my foot all the way open. I, like 
my x-rays, my foot was a Christmas tree. I had shrapnel that went all the way to my pinky toe under my skin. So they had to lay all that open to actually dig all the pieces of metal out and fold it back over. And then they actually sewed it back shut. But even when they sewed it back shut, I didn't have enough mass there left. I was missing bones. My heel was the size of like a dime. Like it was tiny. I had enough that they put two long, like eight inch broads in my heel to hold that in. And then I had the Richter set, you know, to hold the side of my foot in. And then I actually, they, I still had, you could see straight through my whole foot when I left the hospital. Like you could see the bullet where it went through and where it exited because I didn't have enough mass to sew back shut. But what I did have was a wound back. And that's when I figured out how amazing those damn machines are because holy crap. Um, this was October 23rd, 2005. By January 13th, 2006, I was walking on my foot already. Now I wasn't running or doing this, but I was literally limping around in my foot that was almost 85, 90% already healed. Problem I had was I had one spot that was never actually going to heal, I guess, all the way. It was kind of a really dead spot in there. But the wound vac itself was almost more pain than I actually had when I had my, my accident. Because if, if you ever been around a wound vac, do you know anything about yeah. them? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've dealt so, with uh, wound vacs with, uh, you know, chronic care of wounds. So yeah. when something's not yep. healing, they'll, they'll usually yep. employ a wound vac. So my deal was I had a sponge that was about that long that went clear through my foot and they had to rip that out every single time that, you know, the skin was and the muscle was literally grown to every couple days and talk about that was the most ridiculous pain I've ever had. Like that was worse. I think actually than the accident, just because I knew it was coming. I knew the second they showed up, how bad it was going to hurt. But as far as the wound vac wise, like I healed really fast. I had great blood flow. I had everything down there. I had no feeling from the ankle down and they had my foot fused. Um, so I was never going to be able to move my foot hardly. I mean, it literally, even today, my mind as phantom sensations and everything, my foot, I only can move about an inch and a half in my mind, like, mm. which is crazy. It's not, I don't get the full range of motion anymore, but I was on it. It healed. I did some hunting on it, still did hunting on it. Like I was still being me and then we had our local bull sale. My uncle and my grandpa had a bull sale that I always helped with. And I had to go to help with the bull sale. I tried to help with the bull sale and it just wasn't happening. Um, the pain was there, but it wasn't like the pain was stopping me. It was just the mobility. I was never going to be a mobile person. I was never going to be a person that could do the things that I knew I wanted to do in this life. And so I called up the doctor, did my surgery and said, Hey, what's the protocol for amputation? And she goes, well, there's, you know, like 30 day waiting. You kind of, we had to prep you and this and that and make sure you don't change your mind. So on March 30th, 2006 is when I went in and got the old, the old leg chopped off seven and a half inches from the ground. Yeah, that's, uh, that is a part of the story I did not know was that you actually reached a point in your healing where yeah. you went back to some normal daily activities, certainly mm -hmm. not fully mobile. No, definitely not, not. Yeah. Definitely not running. Um, no, nope. but you're sh through sheer will and, and let's, you know, let, let's call it what it is. is you know, you're kind of, kind of, kind of stubborn to say, no, oh, yeah. you're not doing this. Um, yep. What, because I'm I'm trying to picture in my mind, obviously when something like that happens and there is a considerable amount of tissue loss, okay, mm -hmm. where there's just, you know, tissue, for lack of a better phrase, it's yep. just, you know, muscle and skin and, you know, all, all of this stuff that makes up the organic matter that is human, when that goes away, it doesn't always come back. It doesn't regenerate nope. completely. <clears throat> Uh, you sort of get a modified version of your foot, I would think, 
you know, yep. when you did heal. Um, yeah. So in your mind, it was almost an exercise in, would you say, if anyone's going to decide that this is going, it's going to be me. For sure. I mean, I always said that I was glad that I'm the one that shot myself. And I was glad that I'm the one that decided at that point in time to amputate it. Like I couldn't imagine somebody else feeling the guilt of their whole life of having an accident towards me. And so I'm really glad that it was actually, you know, my own fault. And then I'm actually glad that I waited long enough to make the decision that I knew it was never going to be a foot that I, that I wanted or never could, you know, do any of the things that I'm doing to this day with the foot I had. So, um, yeah, March 30, 2006 is when we, we cut it off. I was lucky enough to have my accident was so it was below, like where they amputated was above the wound for sure. So I have the, I had such a clean cut for an amputation. Like I have good stitching. There's no, you know, it was, that's a godsend that it's so, my stump is very pristine. Like, of course I went through stages of like sores and this and that obviously, but like as far as the bob my stump and you know healing and phantom pain and fam sensation like i am very lucky when it comes to those regards i think that's a really good point because very often i will you know spend time with amputees that are a result of trauma and what i mean mm -hmm. by that is they're in, a, in an emergent situation very similar to yourself however you had the injury in your foot whereas they may have an injury in uh you know an upper part of that extremity and then the residual limb ends up uh, being challenging in the prosthesis mm -hmm. sense where yes. it, 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 you know, it's, it either needs a series of revision surgeries yep. or, you know, people end up with, you know, extra skin. They end up with, oh, yeah. uh, you know, sort of this, this reformation process that occurs yep. with residual limbs. Um, I am also very blessed in that regard that um, when I did have my amputation, the surgeon said, believe it or not, you're lucky in the sense that we can do a very clean job on you and we can make sure that the limb that we leave you with um, has a very good chance of acclimating to a prosthesis. And I'll, I'll, let's face, I mean, you know, I've, I've seen video of you uh, running, um, yeah. let's face it, uh, you do well in a prosthesis. So it <laughs> yes, doesn't I do take, very well. Yeah. It doesn't take it doesn't take a genius to go. <laughs> it doesn't take a genius to go. Damn, that guy's fast. You know. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't always um, like that though. It took years and years for me to get to that point. I am in the last like seven and a half years. But yeah, I'm very. I mean, the legs I have now and where I'm at now, I don't even. I'm not even really a, a amputee to be honest. Like it's literally a foot. Like it just the fit yeah. I have is so it's just yeah. So it's I can't complain at all about. I mean this, the accident's of course horrible and this and that. But the, what shaped my life to the things I'm gonna do now is one of the absolute best days of my entire life, for sure. Yeah. No, I didn't always feel that way either. But <laughs> no, I, no, I, I I hear you, and and I I'll echo that a bit because. Someone will say to me, "Do you always know you're wearing it?" And and <laughs> honestly, um, I do have entire days, you know, yep. thank thankfully, that I yep. don't I don't realize I'm wearing it. Um, yeah, mine doesn't. I've left mine on. I think like 18 hours in one in one day and didn't take it off once. Like I literally, it's part of me. So yeah. mine more mostly is. Summertime in Nebraska, humid, 110 degrees. I got dumped sweat out of it. Other than that, I really don't ever worry about it. So right, right. 
And that I think comes from conditioning. I think it comes from your fitness oh, yeah. level. I yep. think it comes from the various muscles that you develop around your residual limb. Mm -hmm. um, so, so much of of all those other working parts, all those all those other moving parts, are critical to our mobility as amputees. I want to talk a little bit about your residual limb, the version of your limb after amputation. Uh, when you when you first let's let's say started becoming active again, versus now, and you said um, that was two thousand six, right? Yep, two thousand six. Okay. Yep. And um, you've been uh, and you know I we are gonna you know reverse back to some of the struggles yeah. you went through, but you're saying over the last like six or seven years have probably been the most active for you, correct? Yeah, so I got sober in fifteen. I've been active since six, uh, since pretty much January first of seventeen. I've been active ever since. Yeah. Okay. So the version of your limb, let's say it, you know, in fifteen, sixteen versus now, mm -hmm. how much change have you seen in your residual limb between then and now? So in sixteen, I was on a sprint foot. I got in two thousand six. It was the original cheetah, literally in 2006. Went to Carney, Nebraska, got it remade into a socket that actually fit me. Still didn't fit the greatest, though. Um, when I first competed, I was in eight-ply socks um, mm. in competition in L.A. So it was a horrible fit for sprinting. Sprinting is all about direct contact. You have everything tight and neat, and it wasn't a fit. When I flew out to L.A. for the first time, I ran at a uh, game called the um, – the Angel City Games, I got the eye of a person um, named Nick Stilwell, who's actually the owner with Regus Woods of the Never Say Never Foundation. And they hooked me up with a brand new foot, um, a new sprint foot, um, which this is the part I'm getting up with my stump because this changed my life forever. So they find me out. They told me to go to see Greg Davidson in Seattle, Washington, um, who's doing some amazing state-of-the-art things that not a lot of people are doing he goes well fly you fly yourself out there he has a guest house you can stay in he'll make you um new legs for pretty much nothing like you literally get a flight out there we'll take the leg with you that you have the sprint leg you have and you have potential to be very very fast i said awesome didn't know what i was getting myself into you know obviously i've been through legs how many years that takes weeks and months of being in the test sockets and this and that and blah 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 and then you know just can't fit right, don't fit right, and you're getting frustrated and everything. And so I didn't have, you know, the times I was an alcoholic, some of it was because of pain. I mean, it never fit. I would, you know, maybe wear my leg at those point in times for 10 minutes at a time. I have to take it off for five minutes because it just, you know, sores. And you know how bad legs just fit. Horrible, horrible. Yep. So I get to Seattle, Washington. I show up like on a Sunday and I get there on a Monday morning, like bright and early. And this is no shit. I was in a test socket, I think, in his office for like seven and a half minutes. Like, this is no joke. Like, I was in a test socket for like 10 minutes. Um, he's like, how's it feel? I said, it feels amazing. He starts making me. So Greg does uh, direct lamination. He doesn't use any screws, no nuts. He puts your sprint legs or your normal legs on the back of your socket just by, just by carbon fiber. Yep. Okay. So I have no, no nothing there. So this is actually the original league. It made me in 17 still. Um, so... I was in a test socket, of course, and he does re removable inner sockets as well. So there's a little more cushion there, plus the gel liner I have, you know, and I was like very, didn't trust anybody at this point in time. I got it. He made me three legs in four days. He made me two sprint legs 
in an everyday leg in four days from start to finish, which is incredible. Like the guy's literally changed my life forever. He saw some potential in me that he actually put me into one of his prototype sprint legs that he developed himself and let me try it out. And this is the point I'm getting to my residual limb from 17 till now. Um, I don't have any ply socks on. This is the leg he made me in 17. Oh, wow. So I have not. So my leg literally from 17 till now, I'm probably the, and in 17, I was a little heavier. Um, when I was an alcoholic, I was almost, almost 200 pounds and I cut a lot of weight to 160 and I, and I bulked back up and now I'm like 172, 174 right now. But my residual limb, the most I'll wear on this on hot sweaty days, is I'll put one play sock on. So wow. I'm literally in a leg that fits like, I mean, it's like a glove. Like I couldn't ask for anything better in mine. And my sprint legs fit exactly the same way. Um, they are just like part of me. That's one of the reasons I'm so successful is because it is a glove. It is like putting a skin tight glove on my stump and it just fits perfect. So yeah. And uh, I appreciate you. You know, I appreciate you sharing that because so often folks will, will ask me, well, you know, I, I see these, you know, these Paralympic guys, these triathlon Mm -hmm. guys, and you know, how, how, how do I accomplish that? And my answer is always the same, which is a, a lot of it is about finding the recipe, mm-hmm. finding the secret sauce. Oh, yeah. You know, being willing to push yourself into those spaces, network, advocate for yourself to the point yep. where, where you make the right connection, yes. um, you know, with someone that understands what your fitness goals are. And I, you know, and I'm talking about like average walk of life people like myself, because, you know, my, my, uh, my socket is actually very similar to yours. It's a, it's a Mm -hmm. single strut design. That's there. There's, you know, there's no post it's, you know, my, my, my socket just kind of dangles there. And, um, you know, I had a custom foot made. So me getting to do the things that I want to do, which certainly aren't, you know, anywhere in the physicality uh, lane that you're mm-hmm. in, but still wanting to reach my own personal fitness goals and do Absolutely. the activities that are so important to me. Um, I was wearing, uh, you know, a lot of wrong <laughs> legs for a while too. Oh yeah. And well, in, it's frustrating. When I was an alcoholic. Yeah, it is. Cause when I was from, I was, I was in some Oster foot, you know, for seven years of my life, I was literally breaking every month like shattering the heels and toes off every single month. Like the foot I have now, it's just, it's an actual, it's, it's a sprint foot. It's like, it's like a cheetah just set up different with a heel on it. I've never broken anything on it since, since 2017. Like it's literally the best. It's an athletic foot made for everyday use, which that's what people should be in the first place. Like the number one amp- thing amputees do wrong their entire lives. Is they don't hold their process accountable. 100%. They don't think it's supposed to fit right. And I, I truly believe that, if you they think, oh, I, they did all this work, they put all this time and effort in it, I have to just make it work. That's 100% incorrect. Yeah. If you're not fitting right, if you're, not, if you're having pain, and it's not, you know, if you go in there and you're healthy, if you go in there with sores and this and that, you got to let stuff heal. I understand that. But if you go in there and you're a healthy stump or at least a, as healthy as you can get it, and you're still like, and you're still not mobile, something's wrong. You have to change prosthetists. I mean, this is your life. Like, and that's part of the problem I had over the years. I had a couple that legs that didn't fit right and I didn't say anything. And so I was dealing with all depression 
of knowing I could be a better person, not being able to do things you wanted to do. And drinking was my, my escape was that was my escape was, you know, pain. I was in pain. I mean, so when I say Greg saved my life, like he literally, like I got sober before that, but he's kept me sober because I've had zero. I mean, it's been amazing. And so I just think, yeah, we just got to keep each, you know, I always think that when I, young people that have the pro, you know, have an amputation, they're always like, what's it, what, what, what do I need to know? You need to keep your process accountable. That's what you need to know. You need to know that it should fit right. It's very, so. it's very good advice. Um, you know, I, I was with one of the larger, you know, uh, clinics, let's call it. Yep. Um, when yep. I started my journey and I, I did get a lot of answers that didn't make sense. It was, well, yeah. th- that's just how it is or. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, well, you're you're just going to be in pain sometimes, or you know, <laughs> <Not> well, <okay. laughs> yeah, well, kind of like you mentioned, well, you're only going to be able to wear it a certain amount of time, you know, per day. I yeah. was crazy anxious to get back to work full time. I live a very active lifestyle. I love to travel. It's a big thing yeah. for me. All of those things seemed completely out of my orbit, and. It all boiled down to the same thing, which you're mentioning, and I appreciate your transparency in saying, if if you don't demand the best, you don't get the best. Yep. It's just how yep. it is, and you and you and you have to push to get the things that you need. And I went through, you know, all of the skin breakdown. I went through wound care. Oh, yeah. I yep. went through, you know, all kinds of, you know, abscess this and you know sore that and. Yep. And yes, I kept asking questions, making calls, yep. researching, and um, I'm I'm in a similar situation. I I, yeah. I found the right prosthetist. His name's David Rotter, and he has. I know who David Rotter. Yep. Yeah. Mo- mo- most, yep. Most, <laughs> m- most 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 athletes do. Um, yeah, we know. I've met him. I like talk. I went to I went to a camp in Texas. Okay. And uh, his name was brought up a lot down there. Was that. See, usually, see, I was um, 30 years old when I got sober. So I went down there as people, you know, used to do the sprinting younger and they would do the triathlons later. Well, I was starting to sprint at 30 years old. They're talking about, you're doing things a little backwards. I said, yeah, I'm a, I'm been that way my whole entire life. So his name was brought up and people about the leg I was on. So, yep, for sure. Yeah. So um, I want to talk a little bit more about that period in your life. Fortunately, for for our purposes today, and I think for others to find inspira- <laughs> find inspiration, yeah. you know, through your story, um, you went through you know a dark period of your life, and yep. you you you've you know been very beautiful in allowing people to understand you know your battles with alcohol, and you know how that you know affected your life. And I, you know, I, I appreciate that because very often people in those situations, and I know a few, they're looking for that beacon of hope. They're looking for, Mm -hmm. you know, something to give them an idea of how to navigate those difficulties in their life. So walk me through for the audience, walk me through how all of that sort of started um, yep. were, were you, I mean, were you someone that had any kind of struggle with alcohol before your amputation or was this something no. that just 
sort of arrived due to your circumstance? So, I mean, before I drank in college and I partied and it was more of a fun thing more than a necessity. And obviously as soon as I got amputation, I thought I was going to be better. I thought I was going to be, it was going to be a fix all, you know, it's going to fix my whole life because I had this issue that's going to be better. And that wasn't the case. You know, I had legs that didn't fit and wounds that didn't heal. And, you know, my life wasn't perfect the second I got the amputation. And so mentally I was not in a great place the entire time. And when you're in pain, a lot of time, you look for any alley you can to be not in pain and not be in your own head. And that was alcohol to me. Like I had, I had, I had a prescription pad in my, in my foot. I could have got Percocets and Oxy whenever I wanted to. And I just, and I did abuse them once in a while, but alcohol was what I, was what I, what, what I craved. Like it started out just partying even more and more. I went to a big party school at UNK. We always say you can't spell drunk or flunk without UNK. Like, you know, that was part of it. And, uh, and uh, then it just kind of progressed to, I went to, transferred to a two-year ag college, partied down there. I was really good at partying. I was very good at drinking. Um, like I had a very high tolerance. And then, you know, even then it's like, am I an alcoholic or am I just in college? Like, you know, there's, you know, cause there's plenty of people I know now that did that in college that are now alcoholics now. Graduated from college and I got home and I never really stopped. I wasn't like the drop down drunk, but I was the guy that could drink 30 beers the entire day just cause I had to, to sustain myself just to be, um, a live, I guess, just to, you know, deal with the pain and deal with the anxiety. Like I still say to this day, like I would rather get up in front and I'm still the same way. I would rather get up in front of a thousand people and tell my story and tell people about how I've screwed up doing this, this, and this, and how I've messed up and how I was a horrible person at this point in time than I would maybe sometimes calling the tire shop. That gives me anxiety, but do, doing this does not. And so I looked, that was back, that was me back then. Everything gave me anxiety and I was depressed 24 seven. So I was looking for any escape I could. And I started the, and then it started to the point where it was just routine. You get up, you have two beers just because that made you, you know, two beers was a perfect amount that you weren't drunk. You weren't whatever. You just felt great. And then every hour you had to have two more beers every hour. If I was going to go to town, I could drink three beers and three miles. If I was going to be around people for the next hour and I couldn't drink. Like I just knew mine was more just necessity to keep myself alive. It felt like. You know, I still obviously went out and had way too much fun sometimes and I got, you know, blacked out, this and that. But most of mine was just maintenance is what mine was. Um, yeah. And I was so do you consider person. yourself, were you, do, would you say or consider yourself at that time you, you were a functioning alcoholic? Oh, yeah. Yep, for sure. Functioning alcoholic, yes. But like, like yeah. I said, I, I still made horrible decisions, even though I wasn't maybe drunk all the time. I probably, I got a DUI um, and I blew almost, almost three times over the legal limit. And I was, and I was the only reason I, I didn't pass the test was because my eyes were twitching back. Like I couldn't pass the eye test. Like I almost passed the sobriety test as an amputee. Obviously one leg, it is perfect for me. So I could stand on that for forever. And I didn't really <laughs> even flunk the walking test. Like, so my tolerance I've, tra was so I've trained high for that, this test. <laughs> yes. My whole entire life. Yes. And so, um, I knew the second I got pulled over, I was going to go to jail, but you know, but yeah, that was one of my, the lowest points in my life. I've wrecked a vehicle. Um, another point, um, you know, and when you start looking back at the times where I was an idiot, the times that I had my kids with me, or my son has mm -hmm. never actually seen me drink and drop alcohol in my entire life. I'm very proud of that. My daughter did. Um, so the times, you know, I drive around checking cows, drinking, you know, casually with people, this and that, and I'd been drinking the entire time before that, how much of an idiot I was. You know, anything could have happened. You know, something could have happened to her. Um, I would never forgave myself. So, yeah. you know, those things you look back on that you get emotional because, you know, I was an idiot. There's no two ways about it. Like I was a dumbass for ever thinking that that was a good decision 
you know, and as a man, you know, you don't talk about your feelings. You don't talk about the problems you have. So you bottle everything up inside when you, you know, depression, anxiety, pain, all those things stacked on top of each other. I had to do something. And that alcohol was the point that I, the, the medicine that I chose. Um, and it was the whole, you know, it was a bad choice. <laughs> but I, choice. I'm not gonna, so, you know, I'm not gonna mince words and say, uh, yeah, you know, Kevin, you know, you're a fuck up, you're this, you're that. It's when you go through something like what you've been through, when, mm-hmm. when we deal with the loss of a limb, you're in the prime of your life, you're full of dreams, you're, yeah. you're an athlete, okay? You're, you're, uh, your body is, is this temple and you treat it as such and you perform and you rely you know, on those legs and the ability to, to push through, you know, those competitive boundaries. And suddenly all of it seems Mm -hmm. to have been ripped away from you. Someone basically, yeah, it's like something just shows up one day and says, oh, by the way, all of that is over. It's over, you know, yep, because when I was in high school, like I didn't drink in high school hardly at all. Like I was all about sports. I mean, I was football, basketball, and track. Like I was the guy that go to parties and hang out, but I did not hardly drink in high school. So for me to go from that to where I was at now, it was un, unheard of for me to be doing that person, be the person that I was. Um, and I truly believe in my mind, like if I wasn't sober in 15, I'm probably not here right now. I'm probably, I'm probably dead. I probably escalated something else because I was escalating from beer to vodka to, you know, to, I mean, I was escalating from beer to hard liquor as I, you know, I progressed and, sure. um, so there's not a doubt in my mind that I, you know, I would, I know I would be, I'd be divorced for sure. And I probably would be dead <laughs> at this point in time. What, so. what do you, uh, what would you cite specifically or what, what set of circumstances do you feel was the turning point? When, when did that, when did that become the, yeah. this needs to, this needs to change or, you know, what, what happened? You know, you know. The night before, I was at a cattle pinning in Eustis at our county fair, and we won. Um, I was supposed to be sober at this point in time, but I was hiding drinking from my from my family. Um, I drank. Um, didn't have any plans to stop. I didn't have any. We had to go to a wedding in Kansas City the next day, and I didn't have anything uh, hid or anything booked or anything for the ride down there. I, didn't, I was out. Like I drank everything the night before. So we drove to Kansas City, didn't drink that on the way down there, get down there and hanging out in the pool. And there was people around and I didn't drink that day. And it's like, I went the first day and I don't know how long in years without a drink. And I'm like, huh, well, I can do at least one day. And then the next day was away. And we just, it snowballed. Like I, there was no, there's no, like in my mind, I'm going to be sober the rest of my life. Like I wasn't thinking that far ahead. It was like, I took this day and then it was this day. And next thing I know I was a month sober. And then I was uh, two months sober. And then I was three months. And then I was half a year. Then I had my year of sobriety. I'd never been to any AA meetings. I've never did anything like that. The first year, I didn't even start working out the first year hardly. It was just me understanding that I can be sober. Like I can do this without alcohol in my life. And uh, I truly, truly believe that I was so tired of all of the lies, all of the... Yeah figuring out if I'm using a credit card today or cash or this debit card. So like, so there's not three days in a row backed up of me buying alcohol. I was just, it's a job to be be an alcoholic. You have to be, it's a job. It's a full-time job to figure all the lies out and how to do everything. And like, it was exhausting to be an alcoholic. And like, 
I just couldn't do it anymore. Like I wasn't even to the point where I wanted to even be pot or be a speaker at this point in time or be an am- or an athlete. Like I just wanted to be sober. And like the first, like I said, it was the first year and a half pretty much of just me being sober. My August 7, 2015 is when I got sober. Um, and then I started training December 30th, 31st, 2016 is the first time I ran in over 10 years is when I went to mm. Carney, Nebraska, got my leg, a new, my old leg redone and I ran for the first time in 10 years. So, so you're, you're exhausted. You're like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just sick and tired of this. I'm, I'm just done with this whole thing. This Overweight. charade. Yeah. This not charade. Healthy, like multiple things. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'm an athlete, and I'm not doing the things that you know I, I should be doing. And now you begin to think, okay, I I, I need to compete again. I need to feel mm-hmm. what that's like. And what challenges did you face in? Let's call it now. We've turned the page. The yep. comeback. The comeback begins. Yep. You so know, the what, first what challenge does that was, look like? Yeah. So the first challenge was an old leg that was, it's like, a, like I was driving and I was supposed to be in a race car. I was in like a Toyota Camry, like to start with, like I was in an outdated leg. That well, at least you I weren't already, in a Corolla. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, there you go. So I was already in a leg that's, you know, that's 10 years outdated, you know, a 10 year old leg in 2006. And I'm trying to compete in that. Um, I'm training on, on my own pretty much. I, when I head out to LA, I get like eighth and sixth and 100 and 200 meters in a nation like I, my times weren't great i've actually placed fourth in the 400 because like there's only like five people in it no i placed third in the 400 i actually got home with a medal at nationals that year um and was it in great shape yeah i was skinny but i wasn't strong i uh well i got the new legs from greg that's when kind of everything kind of amped up i got the better connections of people i started you know jared wallace who's an amazing athlete um, world record holder in the 100 who now is long jumping like crazy. He reached out, he kind of became, became friends. And I didn't know how fast I was going to be until, you know, six, eight months later, but it turned out that I wanted something that I've been sitting on a bar stool talking about for my entire life. Like watching the Paralympics going, Oh, I could do that. Or I could, you know, I can do those things or I could have been that person. And I'm sitting there and I have all this regret build up inside of me. And there's one of the feelings that if you want fuel for yourself, it's thinking about the past and how, in my prime of my athletic days, you know, 20 to 30 years old, I was drunk the entire time. So now I'm starting this at 30 years old, trying to compete with these 20 year olds. And there's no more excuses inside of me anymore. Like I don't have an excuse left in me. If I don't do something, it's my own fault from now here on out. It's not like, oh, you didn't, or somebody treated me wrong or this or that, or I didn't do it. It's if I don't put the work in and I don't put the time in, I'm not going to make it. And my first dream was just making Team USA. I just wanted to wear that red, white, and blue and prove to myself that I could do this um, for all the years that I, that I was an idiot and I was an asshole. So training non, I mean, I'm talking just farm, stupid farm things as well. Like when I put salt and mineral out, the salt and mineral weighs 50 pound bags and I would park 50 feet away and I would carry them on both shoulders just to walk over there and back. You know, I would do things that would make, that gave me the edge over just lifting weights and running, you know, in my head. Like I was going to have no excuses this entire time. And 2000, so I trained from 17 to 19, I, I trained nonstop. And 2019 is when the, the turn, I got um, another new prosthetic from Greg and my times just started dropping, plummeting. Like it was like the first couple of years, I didn't have a whole lot of times that were, I weren't getting faster. Like I didn't know how to, I was a four 800 runner in high school and college. 
I'm not a sprinter. I had to learn how to do the 100 and 200. I hadn't used blocks my entire life until 2017. So yeah. now you're talking to a guy that was a middle distance runner has to learn how to sprint now. And so that whole thing was, I still don't know how to sprint. I'm still learning to this day how to be a sprinter, like to be honest. And so, well, tw 2019, uh, 2019, definitely you weren't, didn't seem to be uh, <laughs> someone that didn't know how to sprint. Well, that's, that's when I finally learned how to sprint. Like I was, I was decent 2019. Like, this is the funny part is like, I went to, I got the worked hard enough to, for team USA to be on my radar um, and qualifying times I put in for like tracks. I went back and ran track at UNK, um, not on the team, but as, um, as an unattached athlete, all their track meets to let me run at all of them. Um, I ran some pretty damn fast times um, at UNK and the, one of the worst track meets is one of the best track meets. I didn't understand how this to get sanctioned meant. I didn't know what that actually meant. I thought you could turn times in after and then get it sanctioned. Come to find out I ran a 22.97 in 2019 and it didn't count because I didn't have it sanctioned. That would have been a standard B time back then. I would, or 2018, sorry. And I would have been on team USA in 2018 for a full year yeah. before I actually made it because I didn't, the time didn't count. So I knew I was capable. Um, got an email and a call from, um, Team USA and said, Hey, you've been selected to go to run the pair of Pan American games in Lima, Peru. Um, now this is how an athlete's mind is screwed up because at my, in my mind, I hadn't earned it yet. I hadn't ran a standard qualifying time officially enough. Unofficially I did, but I wasn't on team USA yet, but I had to get kind of put that aside because my goal had been made three years of training nonstop hard, you know, hours and hours, Nebraska winters, Nebraska summers, time away from my family, like all of it finally come together. And, uh, the funniest part ever. And there's a reason that it happened. It was, I got the big suitcase. It comes in a huge box, all your team USA gear. Oh wow! It showed up on August 7, 2019, which is my sober date. It literally oh. shows up on my sober date four years later. Um, the UPS man guy drops it off and we, I literally ball with him. Like he'd yeah. known my story. He'd see me out there running in gravel and stupid weather and, you know, my shorty shorts and all the things, stupid things that I do to give myself confidence. And he's like, what is that? I'm like, oh my God, I know exactly what this is. And I had to open it up and then I had to seal it back up because my parent, my kids weren't there. My wife wasn't there to see it yet. So I had to put it back in this box. So they didn't even know that I'd opened it yet. Yeah. Um, and that was an amazing, amazing day. Um, it, cause I, I mean, at that point in time and it got worse, but I sacrificed so much at that point in time, the training I did, you know, not people had no idea who I was. Well, talk um, about things, kind of, uh, things becoming, you know, like that full circle kind of situation yeah. where you, you had, uh, you know, pulled yourself out of the grips of addiction. You committed yourself to training again, competing, dreaming, you know, of representing mm -hmm. your country in the Paralympics and you made it happen. You willed it to happen. So Yep. To have that moment, even that private moment before you shared it with oh, your family, man. to go, oh, oh my man. gosh, I can't believe this is happening. This is kismet. This is my destiny that mm -hmm. I am I am doing things that, you know, it's it's all come full circle. This is my yes. moment. And now I'm, you know, I'm 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 gonna meddle in, in 2019, you know? Yep. And then and so to be that person, to, to know where I came from and to know that, you know, my daughter's looking up to me now before she can look, look up to me. She's on the track with me, helping me run. Like she's, you know, 
four years old. She's on the track running with me on, you know, just to compete with me. And she's having a blast doing it and having her see her dad finally succeed. And then knowing that my wife stuck with me the entire time I was an alcoholic. I met my wife in 17 and, or in seven, 2007, sorry. My, that's when I pretty much started being an alcoholic was 2007. So she never met me sober. So yeah. she's never really seen me. I mean, that was, you know, obviously I hit it and it wasn't the party stage, but like to have somebody that you love so much, stay, stay with you, even through all the ups and downs of marriages that you have without alcohol is a problem, let alone having that come in between us was, you know, there's no reason she should probably should have stayed with me. Um, to have all those things finally just be at your feet and know you open that huge blue suitcase up and you have all that red, white, and blue gear on there and you get a, you know, get your passport and you get to fly down to Lima, Peru and compete. And, you know, I get down there, um, never traveled like this in my life before. So I'm very much a virgin when it comes to the traveling bug and I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm just glad the time change wasn't too bad. So that was pretty easy to still contact with people and still be in touch with them. Cause I was missing my family like crazy, but I ended up um, getting second place in the 200 meter dash, which is actually my better race. I didn't run a very good race down there. And then the hundred meter dash, which isn't my best race. I ended up winning from start to finish and uh, come home with the gold and, you know, to work so hard for something and actually be, to know you earn something. And that was cool. But the cool part when you're standing on the stage and there and you're with three people and they're all from team USA and you're in the middle of them and you're the reason why the national anthem is being played. Oh yeah. It's one of the coolest, the coolest moments of my entire life. I don't know if I ever can that feeling. Um, That's out of body. I, mean, I was right crying there. on TV eh, for sure. You just, you don't even feel like you're, it's so surreal that you did something so amazing that they're playing a national anthem, not for anybody else. They're playing it just for you and their whole country's behind you and supporting yep. you. Is It's an unreal feeling. Unreal yeah, feeling. Yeah, you're, you're, you're probably levitating at that point. You know, one of the things oh, that, that I really admire about your story, um, and you're, you're very humble in this regard, and I appreciate it. You've talked extensively about your family and mm -hmm. your support system. And I meet, I meet so many brand new baby bird amputees all the time. People re will reach out to me. Um, you know, aud audience members will reach out to me and they will always, you know, ask me, you know, what's, what do you consider to be one of the most important components of navigating uh, the loss of a limb. Mm -hmm. And my answer is always the same, which is yep. what is your support system like? Because yep. without a very solid support system, you're going to struggle. I don't care yeah. how determined you are. I don't care what your fitness level is, whether you're, you're really active or you're really sedentary. As long as you have people around you that will, uh, guide, support, cheer you on when you're struggling, cheer you on when you're winning. You, you mm -hmm. have to have that in place because none of this works without other people. And, and um, you seem uh, to be one of those uh, people that I recognize and admire because you're, you're, you're very quick to point out um, that so much of that has played a role you know, in your oh, success, yeah. your success, not only as an athlete, but also as a father, as a husband, yep. you know, all of it. And, you know, I'll let you talk. I mean, I, I, I very much appreciate that because, you know, yep. so often people get kind of focused on themselves a little bit. Oh, yeah. 
You know, like, hey, look yep. what I did. And it's it, you're, you're well, very quick to be like, hey, I needed all these people. Yeah, and I'm not easy to live with to start with, let alone an amputee, an uh, alcoholic, and then now trying to go for Team USA. Like, you know, it wasn't always easy for my wife and family to support me because I was all over the place. Like, let's be honest. Like, I am a lot. It's like, I understand that I am not just a normal person either. So yeah. for them to stick with me, and it wasn't always, you know, roses and rainbows, you know. There was dark times that we've, we've had where, you know, I was – pushing this so hard. I kind of lost, lost track of other things in my life at one point in time. Like it's all I cared about for a while and things, other things did suffer. And looking back now, I mean, I would change, I would obviously change things how I did a little things back then, but knowing my wife and kids and how they support me now, we got over those humps and over those little hills we had to get over of. And the, the more, they were mostly mountains, I guess, more than hills, but you know, they just know where I'm at now. And I would never, never be here without that support system. Like my dad, who was, 65 at the time, um, he had to pretty much come out of retirement a little bit and start doing more work around the, ran around the ranch for me to train two hours a day. You know, things that I was normally doing for, you know, for the last couple of years with him, I said, well, I can't do, I'm doing everything now, but I need you to pick up some slack on some of these things. And so he picked the slack up, which is amazing and let me, you know, train in the middle. Like I would always train in Nebraska in the middle of the heat because all our track meets seemed like there is when and they're in Arizona or California or wherever they're at, you get to run during the heat. So I would always train in the one o'clock in Nebraska, it's 110 degrees in the summertime. So, you know, I had to miss a couple hours of the day for, for lifting and for running. So without the support of, you know, my, my father, my, cause we have a family ranch. So without the support of that and my mom and my, my wife, Nicole, and then the kids, like, it's amazing still to this day to see them come to the gym with me and see the passion that my kids have for sports now, because of, you know, of, they know if you work hard at something that you can't achieve it, you know, and I'm very much, living proof of that, that, you know, no matter what your situation is, if you throw out the excuses, throw out the, you know, I wishes, or that's not my problem, or we just had this, <laughs> we just had this conversation with my daughter, Chesley, the other day about, I told her what excuses are like, and she goes, what I said, they're all like buttholes and they all stink. And we had to go <laughs> over this thing about how, you know, if you want something in this life, you have to go for it. Like, and it doesn't matter what other people are going to say about it, or it doesn't matter what they're doing. Like if you can control what you can control. And everything else is just noise. So we block out the noise and just, you know, live for that moment as well too, which I'm getting better at as well is living each day, even though my goals are so big still, enjoying every single day of those goals to make it there. Well, and I think that that's very representative of what I would consider to be your legacy as a person. Someone who, let's say, is human, is not perfect, but <laughs> is uh, someone that has achieved great things and has never yep. allowed any of those limitations or any of those mistakes because that's how you characterize them. Again, which I, I feel is very, is very humble. Um, you still have overcome, you know, those things and continue to reflect on those moments in your life as, hey, I'm not, I wouldn't be who I am or I wouldn't be where I am had I not gone through what I went oh, through. yeah. You know, and I, I always say, you know, I'm, I'm at this particular moment and I'm in this particular space as a, as a human being because mm -hmm. of everything that's happened before this. Um, yep. what, what would you, uh, what would you say is your back, your next goal, if that's what you want to call it? How would you describe yeah, that? So I've got a few, um, cause I'm gonna look at the person I am right now in a couple of years and not even recognize that person again, cause I'm going to 
grow so much for them because I just have, yeah. So the main goal again is a few months ago, um, I've been hitting the weight room ever since. Well, so let's, we got to back up a little bit. In 2019, I um, ran a leave in Peru. Then I went to the world championships in Dubai. I did pretty well there. I placed fourth overall in the 100 and 200 meter dash in the world. Um, missed third place by 0.03 seconds. Um, it was I remember pretty heartbreaking that. to, yeah. yeah, pretty heartbreaking to lose by, you know, faster than a blink of an eye. Um, so then I had nothing but training. And, you know, at this point in time, you know, I turned, th- I'm 35. I'm already older than most other competitors, but I'm still doing pretty well. Of course, COVID hits in 2020. I was in the best shape of my life, the best sprinting shape of my life, the best workout shape of my life, 2020. So I had a full year of training with nothing, no meets, nothing, you know. July 2021 uh, trials for the Paralympics in Tokyo, Japan. What the new goal after I made Team USA was, was to make Tokyo, Japan. And not just make Tokyo, Japan. When I was going into the trials, um, I was rolling in practices. I was smoking the standard times. I was literally like, I was so, I've never been more confident in my entire life. I wasn't just going to make Team USA in the 200 meter dash, but I was going to go to Tokyo and I was going to make waves in Tokyo. Like I was going to come home from a town of 400 people. This small town, redheaded farmer was going to go to the Paralympics. He was going to make noise. Like he was going to come home with a medal. And I had every intention. I I'd worked so hard. There was no excuses in the last year of my life. I went through some injuries. I got over them. Things were, I mean, I was coming into those trials in Minnesota, top, tip top shape, the most confidence I'd ever have. I uh, get the trials um, on Monday, I flew up there. And then Tuesday morning, I'm doing just regular block starts. I did a thousand times in my life. I'm 35, 40 meters out. And all of a sudden, something, my ankle, my, my good, the only ankle I have, my good ankle decides it's done. And we didn't know at the point in time what it exactly was, but long story short, Went to the trainers. Um, we ended up spending that entire night forming an insole out of plastic to try to get myself to support my ankle. Um, what had happened was I ended up tearing my posterior tibial tendon and spring ligament. Shattered both of them. They're completely mm. tore in two pieces. Mm. Um, you can't run on a foot like that. You can't do anything. You can't walk on a foot like that. So this was Tuesday after Tuesday afternoon. I was non-weight bearing until Friday and Saturday when my 100 meter dash and 200 meter dash was. And the the trainer that I went to see, she knows me very very well. Um, D is her name, and we did. It wasn't even a question if I was going to try to compete on Friday and Saturday. I had trained for four and a half years for one track meet my entire life. None of the other track meets meant I would have given Lima, Dubai, whatever. I'd throw them all back. I was here for one track meet for the trials to make the Paralympics, and my ankle is not going to stop me from doing that. When I say my ankle wouldn't even work, you could hold my ankle up and you could, it would drop. I couldn't even, I physically could not move my ankle. So we did what we did best. She taped me up, pretty much made it stiff and solid. And I ran the 100 meter dash on Friday afternoon, crutched into the track meet, stretched, did like 125 meter stride. And I couldn't even hardly, the pain was unbearable. Um, it couldn't even, didn't work. I was limping like crazy. Go to the starting blocks. I ended up placing fifth the entire nation. Uh, with no ankle and I actually ran faster than I ran in when I won Lima, Peru, I ran faster in trials with no ankle. That's how much my training has progressed up until this time. 200 meter dash comes along and I had no doubt in my mind I wasn't going to make the team, but I still, this is my race and I had more confidence that I could just, you know, compete and be all right. Um, I didn't even get to do a stride or a warm up for this one. It hurt so bad. I did my stretching. I get in the blocks 
And of course the commentators don't know that I'm hurt. So they're talking about how I didn't make it in the hundred meter dash. I'm not going to make Tokyo unless I do something here. And there's a video of me taking like a block start and I'm taking four or five steps out and my ankle doesn't even, I almost fall. It hurts so bad. Like mm. on live on TV, uh, nobody back home knew I was hurt except for my family and my coach. I didn't tell anybody about it. Um, I competed, I finished the, I got done and I literally kissed the truck because I thought that was the last time I was ever going to run in my entire life. Like I thought I was done. Um, I knew the ankle was just shot. It was, I didn't know how bad it was at the time, but it was, I knew it was really bad. So yeah. I ended up having surgery in August of 2021 um, where they had to remove the whole tendon, replace it with a different one. So my spring leg went back up. They had to arch my foot with a cadaver bone. Ended up cutting my heel all the way off, moving over with a full centimeter and screwing it back in underneath. Um, so my ankle is pretty much, it was all reconstructed. I mean, it was completely uh, redone. The ankle I had was a horrible, nothing left in it. And she told me she made me a rancher's ankle, but not a sprinter's ankle. And for the first year and a half, um, I kind of believed that. And I wasn't going to really blow it up. I didn't really want to hurt it again and this and that. And then about six, eight months ago, I was, in the, I was just working out for fun. I started getting really, really strong. Like this whole entire time when I had my ankle surgery, I was lifting and I was bulking. I got to 194 and I got, I got really, really strong. And then I cut back down to kind of like 180s and I was still really, really strong. And I kind of just talked to my, my old coach and I said, hey, can you throw me some just tracks, you know, workout, weightlifting workouts? He's like, sure, whatever. A couple months of doing those and I was doing my uh, deadlift workout and um, something got, an itch got into me and I deadlifted 500 pounds. Hmm. I mean, I was like, holy shit. Like I just deadlifted 500 pounds at 174 pounds. I'm like, this is insane. And I'm like, I wonder what would happen if I started a few workouts in the track. So I started doing a few workouts here and there. And now as of January 12th, I'm full blown training again for the Paralympics in <laughs> Paris. Um, so it's going to be a short turnaround, but yeah, I'm sprinting three or four times a week right now. Um, That's huge. I'm lifting five times a week right now. Like I am full blown, you know, into training mode right now. So my, that's my goal is Paris 2024 again, but my ultimate, ultimate goal, that's the goal, but I'm so much into speaking right now and sharing my story and traveling around and talking to high schools, colleges, whoever will listen to me. That's my, I like to think my main focus is that, but it's not, it kind of got turned a little bit to the, the working out part of it right now. Cause I have just that I have a short turnaround to July. Um, but I would give all the work, the running away if i knew i could do something huge the speaking side of it but i was giving speeches and i was talking about going off your dreams and i feel like a, a, a bit of a hypocrite on stage talking about going off your dreams no matter what and you know talking about you know you don't let anything stop you in this entire world and knowing that I was not training for the paralympics again knowing that i was this close to making it and i didn't get it i was like i kind of had an epiphany on stage like even if i don't i even if i do not so i'm 38 right now I'm well past my prime of running. Um, I'm in the best shape of my life, though. I'm as strong as I've ever been. I'm still deadlifting 500 pounds. I just box squatted 400 pounds the other day for reps. I have never been stronger my entire life. I'm not fast yet again. I'm still too heavy. I, I got to cut down a little bit, but all the technique is still there. I don't have to peak until July. Like I know we have a plan with my coach exactly what you know to get there. And so... I know that what I'm capable of, but it doesn't even, the end result doesn't even matter for me for Paris. If I work my tail off and know that I gave it everything I have, I'm okay with not making it because I'm not fast enough, but I'm not okay with not making it because I got injured. I'm not okay with that mindset of knowing that I could, should have, would have, could have. I, if I get there to trials and I get blown out of the water, that is perfectly fine with me. I'm still putting everything into it. 
it's still going to be one more hell of a story to me to tell on stage to kids and to tell them not, you know, go after your dreams because I'm living proof. Like I, I don't know You're how else to put it. it that you, you can do everything you want in this life. You just have, it just takes time and work and quit, you know, no more excuses. Like, and the speaking thing means so much to me because I know when I had, you know, speakers in high school or that would come to your, that talked over you and they didn't, I didn't learn anything from them. You know, my story is a little dark in places. I'm very honest with me, everybody about how um, I was just not a great person where I am at now and how, how much of hard work it takes. And I'm not sugarcoating any of that, but I can actually see their eyes light up. And when I'm talking about, you know, cause I was bullied in high school and you know, went in elementary for having red hair and gap teeth and big glasses. And so I know that side of it. Then, in, but you get to high school when I was a jock and I was on, you know, all these um, sports teams and I turned into a bully part of the time. Like I've seen both sides of it. So I know what it feels like to be both sides of that person. And if what's I can help, the, you know, high school. Yeah, like, what's the best yeah. way to get a hold of you for uh, speaking engagements? How do you, how do you prefer yeah, people so, reach out? So um, Instagram, I'm at Flea Speaks, F-L-E-A-S-P-E-A-K-S, right here on the shirt. Um, right now I'm working on my EPK, my electronic uh, kit right now, and my website are being built as we speak. But if you want to reach out there on Instagram um, or at Flea Speaks at gmail.com is my email as well. That's that's where I'm at right now. And I'm, I will say this, I'm very raw when it comes to my speaking, but I, I always tell people that I will never be this cheap as I am right now for speaking. Cause in a few years I have very big plans. <laughs> I will never be this cheap ever again, just so people know. So especially after floor. Paris. Oh yeah. See, that's the, see, you, you know how it works. So, um, <laughs> I've got programs I'm doing. And so the, the speaking thing kind of had to run the back burner a little bit. I'm still traveling as much as I can and doing that. Um, because I love that more than training, to be honest. I love walking out of a high school, the high I have of knowing that I helped out of 500 people, if 20 of them, if five of them, if one of them got something out of it, then it was my whole life has been worth it to help other people for sure. And so if I can help them through the things that they've been through in their lives and I can, you know, deal with it and I've, and I've dealt with it and I can be honest about it and I can change their lives as well. Like, and I have a lot to learn about speaking. I talk really, really fast. I know all these things about me that I know I have to work on to be a better speaker. And for the first time, I'm being honest. If you're honest with yourself about these things and know you're not perfect, it's so much easier to change than it is to be, oh, I'm just, I'm good. Like, I'm well, not good at these things yet, but I'm going to be. That's why I said, I'll never be this cheap ever again. So I think your, uh, I, I think your energy is infectious. I think that's a big part of your appeal, especially as a speaker. I can move around. <laughs> yeah, I work the entire floor of a gym usually when I'm, when I'm, I'm sure, uh, speaking, I'm sure so. you do. Um, so here's the thing. We're all going to be watching, um, yep. Paris 2024. Everyone's got their eye, you know, on you. I know there's going to be great things regardless of that outcome, because yep. Yep. that seems to be how you're programmed as a person. Please reach out to Kevin if you're looking for, um, you know, uh, uh, a, a bargain phase of his of his spe right. of his speaking engagements. Um, I so appreciate your story; it's incredibly inspirational. And I, I'll be honest, Kevin, I, I feel like so so much of you know who you are and where things are going. Like this is only the beginning. And yeah. um, I'm looking forward to to following you as I have thus far, uh, you know. And I will I I will reach out and and one you know once once you get into those those higher tiers of um, 
you know, uh, one of those world-renowned speaking engagement people. Um, hopefully, you'll still take my call. Um, oh, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, um, thank you. Uh, you know, K- Kevin Hifley, um, we will be watching and excited about what's to come. Um, I so appreciate you being here today and sharing everything about your story. I, I kind of feel like we only scratched the surface, but, um, <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah, it is. And, and I appreciate you. I, I appreciate your energy yeah. and, and what you brought to the show. And I, I think it's going to help a lot of people, um, in so many different aspects, whether that be coming back from addiction, um, uh, you know, acclimating to, uh, becoming an amputee, reaching their goals, pursuing their dreams. Kevin Hifley, thank you. My name is Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. I want to wish everyone health and happiness, and we will see you next time.